listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are continuing on in our series, Left on Red. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear. Left on Red, again, is this idea that you read something, but you did not respond in the text message world, which I was guilty of many, many times. I'm trying to be so much better. Um, And so what is the response required as these letters go out to these seven churches? Remember, these letters weren't written directly to us, but they are for us. They are written to these places, but there's a lot to glean out of these. And I am really excited to hand this message to you guys and let you wrestle with it this week because I'm done with it. This was a tough one. Um, This, again, uh, when you think about uh, Revelation and the uh, text that's happening here, this uh, was written uh, from John to these churches. And so this is around 95 AD, 95 AD to these churches. Let's take a look at our map that we've been using every week and follow where we've been. We've been to Ephesus, the amazing port city of Ephesus, the economic capital, just a generator of awesome things, easy to get to, easy to get out of, beautifully excavated. Like when you go to Turkey, this is the highlight, right? You're gonna, we spent like two days here because it was so cool and so awesome. And then you go to Smyrna, uh, which is current day Ismir, 4 million people there. So it's location, 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 a great place. And we talked about Smyrna last week. Uh, so again, another port city. Now we're going to head, continuing farther north-ish, to Pergamum. Now Pergamum, if you see it up there, you're like, well, wait a minute. That's not on the sea. That's not a port city. That's not a place. How, what, what's the deal with Pergamum? And I got to tell you, when I was in Turkey, Pergamum probably was the most impactful to me from a spiritual standpoint of, of going there. Now, we got there, and this trip is all based off of this educational trip that uh, Adam and I got the privilege to go to Turkey last September, this, excuse me, this sermon series. And so we wanted to share with you what we learned. And so when you get to Pergamum, our teacher is really bummed out because now they have a uh, tram that you have to take to the top of Pergamum. You can't hike it like you used to be able to. But we got to hike down it, so he was pretty happy with that. But... So there's, you get to this place, and there's a tram, and it goes up. So I want you to, let me try this analogy out with you guys. If it doesn't work, I won't use it for the next service, but it'll live online forever. <laughs> Let's say that Lewiston was Ephesus, because that's a port. And it's this awesome economic engine and all of those things. And let's say that Clarkson was farther away, but it was Smyrna. And then we were coming up here. We would skip right over Moscow and Pullman, and we would go to Pergamum. And Pergamum would be Steptoe Butte. Pergamum is about 1,100 feet up on this hill. And so it's about the same height that Steptoe Butte is. It's 1,100 feet above the area around it. And you're like, well, why are we going to Steptoe Butte? Exactly. Not a great location. (laughs) A a good view, but not a great location. And so, uh, but the Romans, uh, as they were conquering this area, this became their capital city for all of these. Rome said Pergamum was the place. And that's the place where governance happened. That's the place, and you're going to see it as we go through the text, you're going to see why, like, this letter is just Rome, Rome, over and over and over again. So Pergamum uh, becomes very, very uh, uh, wealthy, and uh, around 150,000 people lived in this place that doesn't have a seaport. Remember these other ones are like 200,000, 150, 200,000, which is a giant city, in the ancient world. Rome was the largest at a million. And so these are big, big cities at the time of, uh, around the time of Christ. And so 
Um, one of the questions that was uh, asked of me as I uh, entered into this site is, which of these five things do you think is the throne of Satan? And you'll see this in the letter as we read this letter, this throne, this, not even a throne, like the dwelling, the word, the word that they use here is like Satan lives here. Satan dwells here. This is his home, not a place that he's visiting. This is his home. So which one of these, Josh, do you think, which one of these five things do you think is the throne of Satan where he lives? So think about this question, where Satan lives. Is there a place in my life where I'm letting Satan hang out? Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Satan does not get to dwell in your soul. Jesus Christ is the owner of your soul. He dwells inside of you. He left the Holy Spirit inside of your heart. He's the one that dwells. Amen? Satan does not get to dwell in the hearts and minds of Christians. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't leave you alone. He has lost you to the kingdom of God. So now he has another mission, and that is to neutralize you. That is to make sure that you don't stay on mission of reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time, that you don't make biblical disciples in relational environments. You get distracted with other stuff, and he's like, hey, let me give you, let me give you a little, little politics. Ooh, let me give you a little entertainment. How about a little alcohol and party? Ooh, let me give you a bunch of knowledge. Let me let you get lost in the world of knowledge so you can become wise in your own eyes. Oh, let's talk about power. Let me give you a little power. Maybe you can get enamored with power. And so Satan wants to neutralize you. And he wanted to neutralize the people here. He wants to confuse you. He wants to make you less effective. So today as we explore Pergamum, I want you to ask, all of us to ask ourselves this question, am I allowing Satan to hang out in any of these five areas? So we're going to do what we did last week. I'm going to read the text again, and you're going to pretend like you're a Pergamite, if that's the right word for them. And this is a letter that you get to read. It's from Jesus through John's pen, his hand. So if you want to close your eyes and just listen to the words and let them roll over you, or if you want to follow along in your app, you can. But we're going to read this two, two or three times today. To the church in Pergamum, to the angel in the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne yet you remain true to my name. You do not even renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who told to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites into sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, 
Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them some hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. That letter would probably leave you with some questions. (laughs) Oh boy. I'm living near or around or in the throne of Satan. This is where he's dwelling. So let's take a look at some considerations of places that maybe Satan might have dealt. Now, this city is 1,100 feet up, not a great location, but Rome said it was going to be great, so it was. 1,100 feet up, there's these terraces that are built on it. Very defendable. There's these terraces that are built on it, and they they build things at the highest point because what's at the highest point has the most power. And so you're 1,100 feet up, and there's these four terraces. So here's something. We have an altar to Zeus. So we'll take a look at this. Do you have that first picture so we can, the, the kind of the drawing picture? I want to see that one. I don't know if we have it in there. There was like a drawing picture of the whole city. Uh, if we do, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but there we go. So this is, this is at the top, 1,100 feet up. You can see that there's a theater right here, which uh, was the largest theater uh, of its kind. Well, let me, in, let me, are you not entertained? Let me entertain you. 10,000 people could sit in this theater, which was huge, like 80 rows high. And a really cool moment. We were at the very top of this theater, and our, our teacher walks to the very bottom, and he could stand right at this one point, and it's 80 rows high, and he could talk in the volume that I'm talking to you now, and you would hear it like this. It was acoustically awesome. So this huge theater, and then you have these other temples that you can see. This is a rendering of it, because you're going to see some of these pictures and be like, rocks and trees? Okay, cool. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a temple to the left. There's a temple down here at the bottom to the left of the theater. There's this other temple right here that could be the throne of Satan. There's this giant agora and, and a library. There's all of these things that are built up here for you to worship, for you to possibly be distracted by. So let's consider this first one. Let's go back to that picture. Thank you. The altar to Zeus. Now, Zeus is considered the ruler, protector, and father of all gods and humans. Zeus is often depicted as an older man with a beard, represented by a symbol of lightning bolts, like we saw last night, and an eagle. And this was built as a monument for the victory in Pergamum kingdom against the Galatians about 197, 159 B.C., and this thing is massive. It's in Berlin now, a lot of it. The, in the 1800s, late 1800s, uh, the people, the archaeological, archaeological, archaeologists, those guys, they uh, excavated this site and they took a bunch of it uh, to Berlin and it's in a museum in Berlin. But this is giant. Even the steps, those are original steps. So they're, even the steps as you're getting to this giant altar to Zeus, not a temple to Zeus, an altar to Zeus. So you can Worship, because Zeus is the one that gave you the power to beat those Galatians. He's the one that did that for you, because he's the God of gods. And maybe he's worth worshiping. Let's go to our next one. Asclepius. 
So this is down the hill. So this wasn't even on top of the hill. This had its own area, this own section. And this was a very, very famous like medical facility of its time. People would travel from all over to come to this to get medical help. It had its own 3,500-person theater. It had its own agora. You would go there, and you might be waiting days. And maybe your, your 10-year-old daughter has a fever, and a lot of 10-year-old, 10-year-olds have been dying from a fever, and you're a Christian, and you, need, you value life, and you love your daughter so much that you're bringing her to, uh, to, this, to this temple, and they've been able to heal people, supposedly, and you're bringing them to there, and all you got to do is worship Asclepius, and we'll help you out. It's just a little... Just a little, just worship medicine. Oh, almighty medicine. Oh, almighty pills. Oh, almighty doctors. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I don't need to go to God with my health problems at all. I go to man. Now it's going, is medicine bad? I'm not saying medicine is bad. Our doctor's bad. They're wonderful. They're amazing. They've been gifted. But do you go to God first with your health problems? Is that the first place you go to? And so this place you could choose. Are you going to bow? You know what, Asclepius, you know what they called him? is the Sotor. You know what Sotor means? You're the, he's the Savior. Are we bowing to the Savior of medicine? If you have a medical bracelet on, or if you looked at the Blue Cross logo, if you had them as your insurance, there's a staff with a snake wrapped around it all the way to the top. And sometimes on your medical bracelets, I'll have that little marking on there as well. That's what it's for. That's what represented this God, the God of medicine. Who holds, there's something else that's interesting. So uh, uh, what's wrong with medicine? Nothing. But putting your trust and hope in medicine and prescriptions before asking God to be involved, that might be backwards. Saving yourself and running over other people to get what you need so you can stay on this planet? Not great. Who holds the power, Asclepius, who holds the power over life and death? Correct answer. Jesus does, but he claimed to as well. Let's go to the next one. So this, remember that big theater picture I showed you and then there was a temple to the left of it? This is the temple of Dionysus. And we all know who Dionysus is. This is the party god. The god of wine. The god of other stuff. The worst spring break thing you can imagine. This. How about this? Entertained? And then let's go worship at the altar, the temple of Dionysus. Has that gotten anybody off track before? Is worshiping and being involved and over-consuming in alcohol, is alcohol bad by itself? No. Is your entire bottle of Jim Bean that you drank on Friday bad for you? You probably don't. How many people made great decisions? I got drunk and I made some great decisions. <laughs> Not usually how that story goes. And so this is the party God. And we're throwing a party this weekend. It's July 4th. We're celebrating our country's independence and all those things. But how is it situated? Is there any offenses happening? Is there any horrible things that might happen today because we're involved with the God of wine and orgy? 
So there was lots of that available for you. What a tough place to be a Christian so far. The God of power and Zeus and, and, and going go to him. How about the, the, God of, the God of medicine? Bow down to the God of medicine. Oh, party God, woo. Can't even relate to any of these things in America anymore. Uh, the festivals of Dionysus included, this is the, uh, the performance of sacred dramas. Pretty neat that it was right near a theater with 10,000 people. Enacting his myths and inviting uh, the initial driving forces behind the development of our theater and our Western culture came from this. The cult of Dionysus is also the cult of souls. They feed the dead through blood offerings. They act as the divine communication between the living of the dead and the dead. And he's sometimes categorized as a dying and rising God. Confusion, 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 confusion. Alcohol, confusion, confusion, confusion. Drugs, confusion, confusion, confusions. Worship the dying and rising God. How's everybody doing? Nobody's found anything yet. Me neither. Tough week. I understand. But it's introspective. Because I bet you we can find some place in here where we're sliding off. Well, Satan doesn't get to live, but he's hanging out. How about the next one? This is a big one. This is a temple uh, to Trajan. Now, Trajan was a Roman emperor and Hadrian, and you got to go here, and you got to worship. Remember when I said last week that like all of these cities are in a Roman pressure cooker? Like Rome is so heavy in all of these cities, and the Roman way of life and the Roman way of doing things, like the pressure is on. And you want to go and, and, uh, and honor this Trajan. Now, Trajan, this was built in about 114 AD, so this is probably after this letter, but you know, this is when they started building it. And you're like, you need to worship this, this, this Roman emperor. And, and emperor worship was a big deal. And maybe if you didn't wor- worship the emperor, maybe you didn't get food. Maybe if you don't worship the emperor, you die. Like thousands of Christians died for not being willing to worship the emperor. And I was thinking, what is my emperor today? Who's... Who's the next savior of America? Politics could probably slide in there somewhere of our emperor worship. That this person's going to save us, not Jesus. That's a dangerous spot inside of many of us. There's no, none of our presidents are Jesus. I don't think anybody in Congress or in the Senate are Jesus. That's not where the Savior comes from. We have responsibility to vote values and do those things, but like, don't count on that. That's going to be a sad disappointment. No matter which side that you're on. How about that? Is politics or the, the, the emperor worship something that's messing you up where Satan gets to hang out a little bit? This is what they said about this. Uh, both emperors, uh, Trajan and Hadrian, were worshipped here, officially declared by the Senate as the best ruler, is what they said of Trajan. He's remembered as a successful soldier emperor 
who presided over one of the greatest military expansions in Roman history and led the empire to attain its greatest territorial extent. I submit to you the temple to Trajan. All right, let's sit on this last one here. Next picture. Athena, the goddess of wisdom. Next to Alexandria, Pergamum had the largest, second largest library in the world. 150 to 200,000 scrolls were here. Paper was not, you can just print it off. Paper was not abundantly available. And so worshiping at the, at the altar of information, which never has happened with us, Worshipping at the altar of information in the second largest library in the ancient world. This library of Pergamon eventually became so famous that it was considered to be keen competition with the Library of Alexandria. Both sites, can, uh, sites sought to amass the most complete collections of text and developed rival schools of thought and criticism. Now, is information bad? Nope. Nothing's wrong with knowledge. Pursuit of knowledge for its power over another person or over another, another group, probably not that Christ-like to use it improperly. How about this? I'm always pursuing knowledge from everything else except from God. Like, like I, yeah, I've read this before. I read it once. I'm good. Like, do you know that this is like the best knowledge book on finance, on leadership, on relationships? Like, it's all in here. Those people all stole, stole this information. But like, you set this aside and we pursue all this other knowledge, which is not bad, but don't forget about this one. And sometimes I have hidden in knowledge. I like learning. I don't like to look like a fool up here. Sometimes. But pursuing it for what purpose? Where's the heart in that? Are you pursuing it to bring people closer to Jesus Christ or are you pursuing it to elevate yourself? And so again, knowledge is not bad, but it can become a distraction. It could be a place where Satan dwells. It could be a place where you hide. How many people know people who are like, are even in this, they have like a bunch of stuff memorized and they could like quote something and they know where the address was of things. And then you like look at their life and there's no fruit. They have the knowledge of the Bible, but they don't have the application of it in their own life. And that's dead knowledge. And so I just encourage all of us, including myself, don't get lost in knowledge. Knowledge alone does not change the world. But the application of godly wisdom in a godly way, with a godly heart, to look in somebody's eyes and love them and try and help them come down the path towards attaining the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that's, that's good knowledge. Moving people closer to Jesus is a good thing. So now I want to step back into the text as we've submitted these five different places to hang out. The God of gods, Zeus is temple, or Zeus is altar. You're putting anything else. Because there's two things that Jesus accuses them, and one of them is idol worship, or eating food sacrificed to idols. 
Is there any other gods that you're allowing to hang out near you? Letting Satan allow him to hang out. And then we have uh, Asclepiopagus, the god of medicine. Health hasn't been a major concern in the last couple of years for us, has it? Hasn't divided anything amongst us in here or in, our, in, in the world? Hmm. We have uh, Trajan, this, this god of power who dominates. And Athena, what's the fifth one? The god, the god of wisdom. What's the fifth one? Dionysus, the god of party. Any of those folks getting a chance to sit at your table? Let's read the text again one more time together. We'll have it on the screen. Get a rep on this thing here. To the church and program, to the angel of the church and program, I'm right. These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. Let's pause right there. I told you that, that Jesus was coming in with the boots on. He announces himself as the one who has this sharp, double-edged sword. Now, the word for sword here is different than the 18-inch dagger that the Romans used. That's like machado. It starts with an M. It's like almost like a machete, but it's like it's a little 18-inch sword. The word here is uh, romphia. Say romphia. It's kind of a cool thing to say. Romphia. So Jesus is coming in with romphia. And this is not the little cute sword. This is a sword with a two-foot handle. And this is a sword with a three-foot curved blade that could smash through shields. This sword was made for kicking you-know-what and taking names. And Jesus is coming in here to announce his presence with authority. Like in the movie Bull Durham when he's pitching. No. Did anybody get that? My man. No. One person. He's coming to announce his presence with authority. But it's not the power that we think because it's the power of God's word, which might take you to Ephesians chapter 6. So it's a direct shot at Rome. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, lots of them. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my uh, faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. No time to go into Antipas. Where Satan dwells. His house, his home, not where he's hanging out. He lives here in Pergamum. The home of Roman oppression and murder, destruction of thought, and twisting of truth. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Numbers 22 to 24. It's calling back to this replay of something happened that happened in Numbers 22 to 24 that he's identifying that's happening here. Yet you... uh, Excuse me, Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to entice the Israelites into sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols. You were worshiping idols, Pergamum, and commit sexual immorality. Same trick, different time. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of Nicolaitans. Therefore, are they there again? Remember this from uh, Ephesians, these Nicolaitans. I've been trying to do some more research on it, and, and I was listening to a message, and 
the thought process on this message is that the Nicolaitans were just like, you know what? God would want you to eat, wouldn't he? Just, just get this little stamp on your hand so you can go into the Agora and said that you, I know you don't really mean that you worship the God of wine or food or any of those things, but just, just compromise a little bit. Just, like, don't, don't be so legalistic. Just compromise a little bit and feed your family. Why don't you do that? Just a little. Just, just like 1% off. And 2,000 years later, you're 25% off. You don't even know who Jesus is. He has something against these Nicolaitans. I can't wait to ask him and find out what it was and find out more in more detail. But he says it in uh, the letter to Ephesians, and he's saying it here now. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and, and uh, we will fight, with, uh, fight against them with the sword. From fire. Big sword. Of my mouth. Ephesians 6, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword, the big sword, the best sword, God's word. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to those churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some hidden manna, cool thing, uh, research it on your own. I will also give that person a white stone, another cool thing, research it on your own, with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. So let me ask you. Where's Satan hanging out? Any of those five areas you think that Satan's got a foothold in your life or he's been involved as you can step back and look at those things? Is there anything where we're letting Satan twist and turn us to the side? It's a real bummer for me because I could identify in a lot of those areas. And Jesus wants us to be warned that we are strong in his truth. We are strong in acting in his truth and not getting caught up and letting Satan have a dwelling place near us or around us or in our hearts. What's the noise or distraction? that could be the place where we're allowing Satan to dwell? How are we using the sword that Jesus provides for us in fighting those battles? You know, the one of knowledge I was thinking about, the suggestion from my wife was good. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. How about sitting there and sh- being quiet? I almost, said, I almost said that from stage. Sitting there and being quiet and receiving direct knowledge from the creator of the universe. Not a podcast. Not what somebody else thinks about the Bible. Just you and Jesus. In a quiet time. That feels weird. What if he says something to me that requires me to change? Oh, let, me go, let me go listen to this podcast over here. Let me put this in here. See what this guy thinks about this thing the great noise of distraction. All right. We're going to take this time since I'm a little bit over and we're going to dive into communion. But this is a great sermon to be reflective on with our communion. So we're going to take some time to be reflective on communion. We take communion every week of this church. If you are a believer 
and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love for you to partake with us. If not, I want to talk to you about that. Because if you don't have Jesus in your heart, somebody else wants to fill it. And they don't have the best interest for you like Jesus does. They want to become your savior. They want to move you around and move you out. And they want to do things with you and around you and through you that are not going to lead you to a great place. So if you don't know who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to talk to you about it. Maybe your neighbor, anybody you see with a lanyard, would love to talk to you about that too. If you, if you don't have communion, Ron, and also over here, we'll come down, raise your hand, and they'll get you communion if you want to partake with us today. I know we could have some visitors in here. I want to take this time and come to, come to our communion in a, in a place of reflection. And I want us to ask God, Lord, is there anywhere in any of these five things that, that I'm letting Satan hang out? And if so, can you help me? Can you help me kick him out, kick him to the curb? Use the big sword, use your rumphaya to help me kick him out because I don't want anything distracting me from you because you are the center of our life. So let's take this time and just go in reflective uh, prayer. Father God, your letter that you allowed to happen to the church in Pergamon has rocked me this week, Lord. I'm grateful that you have come with the big sword. And I ask you, Lord, to knock down the Roman thing and things in my life that I've allowed to build up. Whether it's about power or politics or party or medicine or knowledge that I'm puffed up in, Lord, I don't want to be puffed up in knowledge. I want to be filled with your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would just come into all of our lives and you would reveal that to us this week. If there's some place that we're just off, help us, Father. We don't want to be off. We want to represent you extremely well, Lord. So we come to the table, Lord. We come to this sacrifice and we ask you, Father, continue to reveal this in us. Satan gets no place to hang out in your church. He gets no place to hang out in your people. We rebuke him. He's not allowed. Reveal that to us, Lord. Cleanse our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body and this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to dwell within you. Let's let him dwell within us as we remember this. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Who dwells in us? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to be great examples of what it looks like to follow you. Help us to kick Satan out of anything that he's trying to be involved in in our lives. Let us have victory, Father. Victory over any of these things or things that I didn't even mention today, Lord, that you would reveal it to us. That we would be pursuers of you, Lord. Pursuers of your ways and your purposes and your plans and not of the world's. So we ask, Father, for your hand upon us as we come to you this week in service and gratitude. We love you. Amen.
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.